At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, April 11th, 2021, and WrestleMania has just ended. And we will talk today about the capacity crowd, well, the limited capacity crowd, the alleged sellouts of WrestleMania Night 1 and Night 2, our ticket sales, the Wednesday Night Wars came to an end this week, NXT. And AEW will no longer go head-to-head on Wednesday night. NXT moving to Tuesday beginning this week. And the Undertaker NFTs have dropped. Yes, the non-fungible tokens. What is a non-fungible token? What is this crypto madness? I'm not quite sure, but one of them currently has a high bid of $100,000. And WWE's... Chief Revenue Officer and President Nikon had a really interesting interview earlier this week. We will unpack some of his comments on this program today. And now we will be joined by our correspondent from from live, well, on demand to all the listeners, from HQ2, WrestleMix HQ2, uh, our fine correspondent Chris Gullo who uh, we have just finished watching night two of Wrestlemania welcome Chris Gullo yeah I got my coffee ready and hey Wrestlemania didn't end at 1230 so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that yes there were there were no rain delays here on the second night um, we do have a, a strict list of rules that I've shared with you about how we're going to go about uh, conducting this you have a new microphone today you have a mic stand you managed to uh, partially destroy the new microphone that, that you acquired today. But I think we're here, and the waveforms are bouncing, so the recording is underway. Listen, it might have been cheaply made, and it was just an accessory, Eric. You have your recording now with an AT20, which is a pretty good podcasting microphone. Uh, the, the challenge today was getting, getting that microphone mounted on a mic stand. Yes. And... Uh, you sent me a very blurry picture earlier today of a of a broken I don't know what to call it the the joint that that you would use to screw the microphone into the mic stand. Yeah, which this was a, this was this was I don't know about an hour I, I spent texting you on how to attach the microphone to the mic stand, and there was a shock mount involved. It was a big mess. 
but I but swear I have a degree in in, in communications and media. And production. I was I was I was thinking this long way. I was thinking, you know, he he probably knows what he's doing. He went to college for this, and you know, we've we've been on many wrestling shows together where you spend hours after the show breaking down all this equipment and lighting stuff and audio stuff. And I figured, you know, he probably knows what he's doing. And uh, but now that it's <laughs> set up, we're good to go. <laughs> okay, so uh, go ahead and get in the driver's seat, Briscolo, and. And, and tell me where you want to go first. All right. Well, we just talked about how we uh, just finished watching WrestleMania. And let's kind of talk about ticket sales that were leading up mm-hmm. to night one and two of WrestleMania. I know I heard reports of a little around a thousand tickets left between both nights. And that was a couple days ago. But uh, what do you know, Brandon? So W has now put out two press releases, one for each night, announcing the same number of fans in attendance for each night. 25,675 fans in attendance at WrestleMania at Raymond James Stadium, Tampa. Um, in, in less than an hour, I have a, an email that is scheduled to be sent to the Tampa Sports Authority uh, requesting, in, in, you know, pursuant to this, the Florida Sunshine Law, tell me, uh, I, want, I, is, I would like some, what's that? What is the Florida Sunshine Law? The Florida Sunshine Law, at least relevant to what we're talking about, is um, you can request access to records that are uh, made public because there were government entities involved in um, in, in in the business, which is a, a very crude way to explain it. It's it's very much like a Freedom of Information Act request, I think. So basically, this is a, this is a government entity, and the gov- you know the government has decided that you know, citizens should be allowed to get access to things that the government is doing. So that's how um, people like John Alba have, have, got, have gotten access of to the, at least part of the agreement between, I think he actually has the full agreement, the agreement between Raymond James stadium and, or the, the Tampa sports authority. The, the, the moral of the story here is that the Tampa sports authority is the organization that is in charge of the venue. Um, so that's a way that people and journalists often get access to, to records is because there are government uh, agencies involved in them, and, and then there's a, a records request made. So we'll see what what um, what we get here. Um, a, a year ago or so, I guess, I, Bix, David Bixen's band did a, did a, an article that uh, reviewed a lot of different uh, records that he was able to get a, get a hold of uh, through records requests that uh, gave us a lot of information about WrestleMania business. So we'll see. Anyway, 25,675 is the number for each night, which would total 51,350. I heard things, you know, leading up to the show that, you know, that uh, W internally was not happy with how ticket sales were going. And I'm not sure really what to believe here. Um, I, as, as, as all things, WrestleMania attendance uh, go, I, I would be dubious of this number. Now, granted, this is a different situation where you got limited attendance, so you don't necessarily want to say that you had a, a lot of people in excess of what you were supposed to have. You know, you're only supposed to have a 25,000 capacity. But um, <clears throat> there, there were tickets. If you looked at Ticketmaster, I looked at Ticketmaster at 10 o'clock on Saturday at the Saturday event, and there were what uh, looked to be hundreds of blue dots indicating these are tickets that are available uh, on the hard cam side of the venue. So it looks like there were at least in the hours, the, f- the few hours before the event, there were hundreds of tickets available for Saturday. Sunday, it looked like there were not as many. There were more like dozens of tickets available for Saturday. Um, and if, if you look at the secondary market on sites like SeatGeek and 
vivid seats, uh, you'd see the uh, the secondary market. The ticket prices were were so low. I'm not sure what the face value of the tickets were as as far as the tickets that I saw listed on the secondary market. But I saw prices for Sunday that were as low as twenty or thirty dollars. So I, I would imagine that that was below face value. Uh, night night one, I have in notes here. Night night one, I saw tickets as low as. $45 on both secondary market sites. And I saw like two tickets in the $30 range. So it, it just suggests to me that it's not as if these, certainly these tickets were not, uh, you know, it was, it was not a fast sellout with a, a high demand. I think the demand was at, at best uh, just below what they had to, what they had in supply. But uh, we'll see uh, in Q, the Q2 report, which will come out, in July or August. So not the report that is coming up on, I think April 23rd is the next one. Um, but in July, there will, there will be a Q2 report that will include the month of April. And uh, we might get some some kind of disclosure or some kind of information that will allow us to determine what the paid attendance was. But let's say they've, again, they're reporting over 51,000 fans. They did not report a gate here, which they do in some years. But let's say... 40,000 paid and let's say the average ticket price was maybe $250 which is in line with what WrestleMania tickets have been in the past uh, average ticket price and if you multiply 40,000 paid tickets by an average ticket price of $250 you get $10 million and uh so a $10 million gate would be just below what a normal WrestleMania does a normal WrestleMania these days in the pre-COVID times does somewhere between 14 and 17 million dollars the all-time record for a pro wrestling show in real dollars all time is WrestleMania 32 uh, at $17.3 million. Again, this, this one looks to maybe, maybe I've done about 10 million. And uh, in terms of merchandise, I would estimate usually uh, merchandise per head is some, somewhere around 10 to $12. I would think it's a little bit higher for a WrestleMania crowd. On the other hand, this is a WrestleMania crowd where many of the attendees attended twice. So, I don't know if we say just to take a guess, fourteen dollars per head that would come out to another half a million dollars. So, um, ten and a half million dollars, just a rough guess as far as how much money was made from the live gate and from the venue merchandise. That's probably approximately that's probably in the range of what it costs to put on this this show. But that's that's what I think and estimate at this time. I assume that was the best they could hope for, though. Uh, I mean, with everything going on, so well, well, UFC sold it out. Sold out their uh, they're doing an arena show in Jacksonville, yeah, and they sold smaller that out arena quickly. Seventeen thousand. It's, it's a yeah, yeah. I th- I think um yeah I, I think the 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 average UFC fan is just um probably less concerned about COVID than the average WWE fan is my <laughs> yeah is my conjecture so. Um, one of the things I saw too, just through social media, was a lot of people that were in attendance, and, and this might be such a small number, but a lot of people in attendance were wrestlers who wrestled all week at the WrestleMania shows or fans that were at all those shows. So, like, I found that including very Jimmy Lloyd, <laughs> yes, and he got a free shirt. <laughs> he did. He did. As people um, may know, he's the newest member of the Hurt Business because he was made to put it put that shirt over his GCW shirt, which was not to be seen on air on the Peacock. Which I don't understand that, like why that would even matter to them. Um, but uh, 
So, uh, you know, speaking of WrestleMania, there was a, an auction that actually started at WrestleMania Saturday, and it just ended, and it was for Undertaker NFTs. Brandon, before we get into the specifics of it, what is an NFT? Because even though we talked you know, about it off air, like it's still confusing. Do you, do you, do you know what it is? NFT is a, it will say non-fungible token, non-fungible token. Do you know what that is? And, well, I mean, it. It's basically you own a piece of digital media from from what I understand. It's almost like digital memorabilia, so. you would even say. It's a crypto. Yeah, it's a um something that lives on the blockchain that records your ownership and will record a custody of ownership if you if I sell if I have an NFT and I sell it to you, it will uh create a record of that that is somehow very secure. Anyway, um NFTs are all the rage in the last two months or so. I can tell a story, in fact, about the, the the day that I first heard about an NFT and it entered into my my brain. I was talking to someone who uh, who was a W investor, and he was he said um, so he said something about I thought he was talking about NXT, and I said what what, what about NXT? And he said he said no NFT. I have no idea what that is, but um, there's in on March 11th an artist on Instagram named Beeple, who's been creating daily artworks for however many years, sold a, a JPEG of every artwork that he's made over that time for $69 million, which is sold as an NFT. And uh, NBA Top Shots has had uh, apparently great success selling basically, you think of it like a, a, a sports trading card, but but it's a digital trading card and it's a highlight video. But then there's like limited supplies and I don't know. There's all sorts of speculation and, and uh, corresponding cynicism about this and how this is a, a, a crazy market. But there were a, a number of tiers for the Undertaker NFTs sold. Uh, the platinum tier, the gold tier, the silver tier, the bronze modern tier, and the bronze retro tier. Uh, two of these were put up as an auction, the, the platinum had an opening bid price of $10,000 that was defined by WWE. IWE uh, is doing this in partnership with a company called Bitski. And uh, I should mention too, that we discovered from a press release from March that WWE is actually also an investor in a, uh, in an NFT company, or at least a company that is getting involved in, in, in an NFT platform called, uh, where is it here? Called Rad Collectibles. So this is apparently not, not related to Bitski. In, in any event, uh, the Undertaker Platinum uh, card, which is like a video of the Undertaker tossing mankind off the Hell in a Cell at King of the Ring 1998, um, opened at $10,000. First bid was $10,000, $10,001. The second bid was on $100,000, $100,000. And uh, no one has... Wow. Uh, has outbid that person that that auction has ended as we sit here right now the the gold tier which is the which i think started at a thousand or something uh that has 10 mil 10 minutes left on the uh the auction uh timer twenty seven thousand dollars is the current bid there that has gone up a little bit there has been a little bit more competition for that one and then they sold a, a limited number of these undertaker silver nfts for a thousand dollars and uh and then the bronze tier was one hundred dollars some of these were put out in timing with the uh, the doors opening uh, for WrestleMania and, and put out. You, see, you probably saw the, the commercials. Uh, a lot of people 
sure saw the commercials, I think during SmackDown yeah. and during WrestleMania advertising these things. So I don't know. I, I think it's a lot of speculation so, and the, I think it, a lot of it is the idea. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, it, I mean, it just looks like it's honestly just an extra source of income that really you're not, there's no cost for them on this. And, but here's what I understand. Here's what I don't understand. Well, there's probably, this, there's probably a cost. There's probably a, a cost bit, as far as like whatever it costs to, to – uh, they're, they're doing this in partnership with Bitsky. They're probably splitting some of the money with Bitsky. It probably costs Bitsky to uh, you know hold up the infrastructure. I've heard that it's very expensive and not um, – I don't know about very expensive but not environmentally friendly because it's blockchain. Don't ask me to explain why that is, but yeah, go ahead. So let's just say you buy this digital art of media. I just won the platinum. So now I, I, I have this digital media of Undertaker throwing uh, Mick Foley off the cage. Am I allowed to use that media <laughs> in any capability that, that I would want? Like, you know, I'm going to put it on my YouTube channel. And I don't know. Um, it's it's not as if you own the, those seconds of the King of the Ring. I don't think it's that. Um, I think it's like, a, I don't know. It would be like if you owned the a, a sports trading car that somehow contained a video. Um, okay. Also, the person who wins platinum did not just win the NFT, but also won like WrestleMania yeah. tickets and won like a real Paul Bear Undertaker um, meet and greet, I think. Yeah. Yes. A personalized message from Mark Calloway himself. Um, so the total, and this is not including whatever they, they did today. Cause I have not uh, updated the total, uh, the total amount of money that they have generated from this, but it looks like, uh, over, I must have, uh, I think about two hundred thousand dollars, something like that. One hundred ninety-six thousand dollars, or something, or something uh, close to that, is what they have generated from. So probably well over two hundred thousand dollars, if I counted in the new, the new Browns ones that just dropped. So um, that's not a ton of money in, in, in the W scale of a company that generates about a billion dollars a year. But uh, it's only the beginning. It's only the first one. You know, I don't know. I think a lot of the speculation here is that you know these are the first of their kind sort of like the uh the honus wagner card which is like the old one of the oldest baseball cards that used to be just you know distributed through tobacco through uh cigarettes or something um that these would be maybe these would be really valuable because you will in you know decades from now say oh i have the first wbnft so we'll see um there seemed to a lot be a lot of practical applications for N- nfts as well like maybe someday, it's just because it's a secure way of verifying ownership. This may be something that uh, uh, when you buy a house in the future or a car in the future, there will just be an NFT attached to it. And it seems like it, it might be really useful too to um, to monetize intellectual property in a in a way that guarantees the creator a certain uh, certain royalties in the future. Where do you see the growth on it? Because I know I sent you an article yesterday where. Uh, Jake Paul's knockout of Nate Robinson, $10 million. And, you know, will WB, maybe these celebrities, I mean, they just had Jake Paul's brother on WrestleMania. Maybe they'll start using these celebrities for their NFTs and generate some, uh, you know, uh, buzz that way. Uh, Cause I mean, if that went for $10 million, I could see some WWE stuff going in, in the seven figure range, depending on what it is. Yeah, maybe. I, th- I think a lot, this, again, a lot, I think the speculation value on it is this is the first WWE one, or this is, in, in the case of the NBA, this is one of the early LeBron James NFTs. 
Um, we'll see. A, l- a lot of people who I see make comments about this think that this is a you know this is a weight inflated market. There's as opposed to uh, other high priced art, like think about people trading you know old paintings that are that are really famous and expensive. Um, the, the idea is that you have a market in in that case that you have you know insanely rich people uh, who just want to you know own expensive stuff. You have uh, people who really love art and they they want to be collectors. So you have those sort of captive markets. And the the argument is that in this case you don't have any of that. These this is just pure speculation. Unless a market eventually um, grows in, in, into something. That that is real. The the weird thing to me, just to, to try to wrap my head around it, is that like, un- unlike a physical piece of art or a physical trading card, how do you display this thing and like show off that you're the owner of the NFT? I'm not sure, but maybe new technologies will, uh, you know, will will find ways for NFT owners to display their NFTs. Maybe it will be those uh, um, picture frames that you could just display whatever's on your phone and and, and display video. So. Right, I guess, and that's the weird thing. It's like, well, why can't I just, you know, I, there, this this clip exists on YouTube. Why can't I just, I don't know, yeah, I can just play that. So, very, very strange, but uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Uh, so, uh, something ended this week, Brandon. It was the Wednesday Night War, the last battle on Wednesday nights between AEW and NXT, and NXT actually got a victory on their way out. Uh, Shed some more details on that for the listeners. So the Wednesday Night War, after some 75 weeks of head-to-head competition between AEW Dynamite and WNXT, um, Wednesday Night, of course, was always NXT's night. It's not that uh, they went to cable to compete with AEW. No, it was always their night, and they went to, in their public explanation, they went to cable and made NXT two hours to to grow the media rights value of a third brand, which now I think as we discussed last week, uh, NXT has, or WWE has now renewed its deal for NXT with NBC universal slash USA network. Um, but as you said, NXT takeover, which was also two nights, just like WrestleMania was uh, NXT takeover was on USA network and it was also being streamed on Peacock. So even despite the fact that it was on Peacock and the USA Network, and we have no idea what the Peacock viewership was, uh, NXT was still viewed by more total viewers than Dynamite was. Uh, Dynamite still led in the demo of 18 to 49. Um, but uh, that that is one of the, I think, 10 times, only 10 times in this 75-night head-to-head competition that's excluding the the nights where they were preempted and they were not running head-to-head and simultaneously um let's see yeah AEW won 63 of the 75 nights uh i think there were two ties and yes 10 nights nxt won uh and, and they're scattered pretty uh consistently throughout throughout the timeline november 2019 november 2019 december 2019 April 2020, another one in April 2020, June 2020, July 2020, a second one in July 2020. The most recent one before this week was October 28th, which was the Halloween Havoc special yep. episode. And then this week, April 7th. Uh, that's in total viewership. And as we've learned, the key demo is the only thing that matters. 
Have you are you aware of this discourse? Yes, <laughs> it's all about the key demos. The eighteen forty nine. Tell tell me your uh, <clears throat> what is your description of of, the, of this uh, the reasoning here? Why is I would, ima- I would imagine that is the most desirable demographic to advertisers. Yeah. So my understanding is that um, when ads are sold against a, a program, they're never sold against the total viewership. They're sold against a certain ad demo. Yeah. And when we see these ad demos reported by Showbiz Daily. And uh, I, I take it that these are all the demos that you could, these are examples of demos that you could possibly buy an ad for. And, and, I, and I think P50 Plus is even a, 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 an ad demo that people probably buy. And that's probably where you see the, the vitamin commercials and the, the whatever. Uh, that's probably where you see the, the J Lethal knee brace commercials. And that's, I'm guessing that's, but they bought, they're probably, Je- Jeopardy company, probably, stuff like that. The advertisers, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you're probably getting a, you know, you, there, there are certain products that you want to, okay, I want to hit people 50 and older. But anyway, the, the 1849 is thought to be the most, um, it, I, I think it's the most popular or most valuable ad demo because people between the ages of 18 to 49 or maybe even 25 to 54, which is the other one I see. Um, these are people who have, who have full-time jobs. They're not kids or students who are in school. Uh, they have money, but they're also not over the age of 50. So they're thought not to be as brand loyal yet as people who are 50. The, the notion is that people over the age of 50, for whatever reason, uh, they've already made up their minds about what brands they like, and they're less likely to be swayed and to be uh, prone to advertising. So <clears throat> so I believe, this is what I believe, that AEW, uh, because TNT Turner is is very focused on the, uh, the 1849, they've I think they've all but told, you know, AEW that they don't really care what they do in terms of total viewership. Total viewership is nice, especially if you're a wrestling company, you're trying to sell tickets and merchandise and pay-per-views. Yeah, that that matters. I think it's, it's definitely worth studying and um, taking seriously. But Turner really cares about the 1849 demographic because that's what they're selling ads against. They're not selling ad, ads against total viewership. <clears throat> um, I think... WWE, uh, I'm not really sure, but I do know that WWE, when they made their TV deals most recently, uh, they have included both 18 to 49 and total viewership in their pitches to the networks that they're telling, you know, they, they want an even better deal from. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I believe. Go ahead. What do you predict next week? Cause next week's going to be interesting and I can't wait to recover it. Uh, but what do you predict both of these, you know, programs do because they're they're not going to be running against each other going to be on different nights you would imagine a bump in both the and see the 1849 uh demo will be interesting for nxt does that go up higher than it has been because it's on a different night or do they just have a loyal certain age group audience uh and then i mean but i I would imagine total viewership for both would go up yeah i think nxt has more to gain here because they were losing in the war um I think fans, it's it's pretty clear too if you watch the trends of eighteen to forty nine over time and in, in in the course of the, the timeline of the Wednesday Night War, you see um, the lead get stronger for AEW over time. Um, especially when I when I did the breakdown by eighteen to forty nine viewers as a percentage of total audience. Um, so, but anyway, I I think what I believe happened is that over time, especially around the time that COVID started. Uh, Viewers on you know wrestling fan viewers on Wednesday night decided that they liked watching AEW more and spent more of their time watching AEW and less of their time watching NXT. Um, obviously NXT still had 
you know, somewhat of an audience, but didn't have as large of an audience. So I think um, we have those those few weeks in August and September to show us what happened when they weren't opposed and when they were in their normal time slots. And um, NXT improved by 29% in one case, by 24% in the other case, uh, improved by 37% in the key demo. Meanwhile, AEW improved by 13% and 24%, and in in the key demo only improved by 13% and 16%. So I I think what we're going to see is... Um, the the numbers will be even closer now that they're not competing head to head. Um, I think total viewership will be very close. Um, may even go back and forth in terms of who did the bigger number in the given week. Um, key demo, I would expect AEW to continue to do a little bit better because pr- I, I would have to just sit down and do the math. But even if we added, you know, um, if we if we gave uh, NXT the uh, the thirty seven percent that they gained in both instances when they were on Wednesday night unopposed, uh, they and and did not add that on to uh, to AEW, they would still be short of what AEW is doing in the key demo. All right, so yeah, it will be interesting to see now that uh, there is no more and to see how both programs do progress. Uh, uh, next, uh, do we want to do we want to discuss the Nick Khan uh, interview on uh, Colin Cowherd show? Or uh, I heard there's a special WrestleNomics presentation. We have a. Um, did you know that um, if everybody's been doing these interviews? I've noticed um, lately the uh, this this WrestleMania weekend. I don't know if it's just because of what I was happening to pay attention to this week, but there's a, a, a lot of media happening. Um, you got uh, I saw. Nick Con- we're going to go through the Nikon interview in a little while. Uh, Christina Salen was interviewed as CFO for WWE. She was interviewed by um, CNBC. Uh, Stephanie McMahon was quoted in that article as well. Um, <clears throat> I was in Marketplace. Did you know this? This is the, the NPR show Marketplace. Um, the L article on, on Becky Lynch dropped this week. Did you see that? I, I, I heard about that, yes. I was so- interviewed for that piece. Not quoted though. <laughs> um, this is about a year ago. She's been working on that for a long time. Um, uh, very funny thing in in that in that interview. Uh, I, I talked to this author for about a, about an hour or so about WWE, and, and 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 towards the end of the conversation, she said to me, "Do they hate you?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, I pondered the same question. So, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like you might be on a list. Who knows? Um, every um, people the, the you know the people who I've interacted with from W have been very uh, nice to me. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, so anyway, tons of media happening this week, and uh, so we have here an exclusive, exclusive interview. Did you know that Vince McMahon did, did a media call? So, you know, you know uh, Triple H does these media calls all the time, and. Um, uh, you know, Tony Khan does these these media calls all the time. But Vin- Vince never does them. But Vince, people don't people don't know this. But Vince did a did a media call uh, this week, and not many people have heard it. But we have the audio exclusive. This might not be real audio, but we have the audio this week, and uh, we are going wow. to since no since no one else is uh is it has a hold of this thing. We have you know another exclusive. I thought about putting this on the uh, on, on the Patreon. Or actually inventing a new tier for the Patreon, but um, no, we're, I decided you know this sort of information needs to be 
to be heard by a wide audience. So we will go to that audio now. Welcome to the call entitled Vince McMahon WrestleMania Back in Business Conference Call. This call is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Matthew Potkins. Please, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Hope everybody's doing well and staying safe. Thank you uh, for making the, the last-minute changes on the timing. So we appreciate that. And without any further ado, I'm going to turn things over to our chairman and CEO, Lindsey McMahon. Welcome, everyone. First of all, I'd like to say from the top, I can't believe I'm doing this. Stephanie says it'll be good for the brand. Quite frankly, I don't agree with her, but you have to allow a certain amount of leeway in that regard. But notwithstanding, we have a tremendous WrestleMania coming up. Well, everyone else is afraid of the goddamn virus. Well, there have been a number of goddamn government restrictions in our way. WWE will show that we're the first to be back in business. And we never stop, by the way. Well, every other live sport and form of entertainment has sort of backed down from this thing. We've completely reimagined our form of entertainment. In any event, WrestleMania this year, it's really a culmination of my 40-year quest for respect. Unquestionably, it'll be a tremendous opportunity to reconnect with our universe, which we really never lost our connection with, thanks to the Thunderdome and things of that nature. And even though ticket sales and merchandise sales and television ratings and network subscribers have been down for a number of years, it's really all offset and then some by our engagement on digital and social and things of that nature. We've really never had more fans than we do right now. Who is that? Alright, uh, Matthew, you can turn this over to those goddamn dirty writers. Okay, everybody. Let's limit it to one question per outlet, uh, especially for the mainstream outlets. But if you're at a dirt sheet, we prefer that you just not ask a question at all. Okay. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach the equipment. We'll take the first question from Brian Charmuse. Charmuse. Hey guys, yeah, thanks for taking the time today. It's just such an honor to speak to you, uh, Mr. McMahon. Uh, I mean, WrestleMania is obviously just the most amazing event in entertainment, and obviously the whole world is just unbelievably at maximum excitement for this. Everywhere I go, people are asking me and talking about WrestleMania WWE. The showcase of the Immortals, there's nothing like it in entertainment. And I'm just so lucky I get to do this for a living. Okay, right. Maybe this isn't so bad. You get to ask another question. Whoa! Oh wow, Mr. McMahon. Thank you. I'm so honored. Okay, well, just how, how amazing is it? Just tell us how big of a deal is it that WrestleMania WWE is back in business 
when nobody else did what you guys did. How excited are you to be back in business? This COVID thing, it's like, well, the whole world's been a little bit too scared of this thing. The virus, in essence, did try to infect me, but I'm just too goddamn manly. I didn't have time to get sick. Be that as it may, the world is getting back to normal, especially in Florida and things of that nature. But quite frankly, this business with Dana and so forth uh, coming back in Jacksonville, quite frankly, I'm absolutely livid about and just seething with jealousy. That son of a bitch, why have not give to be back in the arenas with the entire universe there? Yet, on the other hand, we have to consider the fact that our live audience was, quite frankly, standing in the way of a lot of our progress. So, in any event, having the Thunderdome as we have, it's just been an extraordinary accomplishment on our part. It's really been an unprecedented relief. And just being in the Thunderdome these last months, although it has been massively expensive, it, it, it's really been a dream come true for me. Really, for the, for the first time in God knows how many years, I feel like I'm in control again. God, I love feeling like I'm in control. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a really, really great WrestleMania. I know you will. Next, Tim Tellington from Sports Life. Oh, hi, Vince. Thanks for taking the time today. You know, just, I have these memories going back over the years of guys like Big John Studd and Andre the Giant, you know, the eighth wonder of the world. You know, just some of these amazing superstars here coming to put out over the decades. Uh, now, totally unrelated to that, just we get an update on what is the status of tickets? Uh, are they sold out, and how many people? Does WWE expect to be in the stadium uh, on Saturday and Sunday? At present, we announce a capacity of 25,000. That's 50,000 for both days combined. That comes out to half of 100,000. In any event, in effort to take on this challenge of filling all of these seats, our talent relations department has completely reimagined their vision and realized that they finally have something to do with the hundreds of performers who we have currently under contract. And I'm proud to announce that an overwhelming portion of the universe members in attendance on Saturday and Sunday will be performers from our performance center who will have their WrestleMania moment by sitting in the audience and providing the intended reactions. Well, that's great, folks. Thanks, and good luck, Small. Next, we'll take a question from King of Bong Style 01 from the Blade Job Podcast. You're muted? You're muted. Oh, uh, do you hear me now? McMahon, I was wondering which uh, match on the, on the card are you most looking forward to? Uh, which match do you think uh, is going to be the best? We don't have cards. We have events. From my standpoint, quite frankly, I have to admit, I'm most looking forward to seeing my son Shane fight for my love. 
I understand there might be thunderstorms. My Franklin will give it down. He's getting in the cage. Rain, shine, or lightning. This is the only time of the year when I actually hug Shane. So I'm highly anticipating what he'll do this year to prove his loyalty and his affection. But he goes one-on-one -on -one with the man among men, Braun Strowman. Next, Dan Seltzer from the Wrestling Viewpoint Newsletter. You're muted. Sir, you're also muted. Yeah, so thanks for taking the time. Just With COVID now, we can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Or maybe we can't totally see what the idea is that we're at least getting closer to fans being back in attendance. So what are you looking for that's going to inform your decision about the return to live events? And is there any chance that we might see WWE find an outdoor location where fans could attend? You know, AEW's really been doing that going all the way back to the summer with fans in attendance while they've been doing the Thunderdome. They're off. This is not, comp they're not competition. God damn It's like the NBA's G League. We are, we are in competition with Disney. With the NFL, this is Ted Turner all over again. Matthew, shut it down. Shut it off. Let's go. It's over with. Paul. Paul. Nick. Nick, tell me about the NFTs. All right, folks, that'll wrap up today's conference call. Uh, thank you all for joining us, uh, as always. So there you have it. We're not, we cannot confirm the authenticity of that, uh, that audio, but it was, uh, distributed to me through blockchain and through other types of cryptocurrency, uh, you know, and, and things of that nature. How much do you think that NFT will go for? What NFT? <laughs> well, the NFT of that audio. Um, we, 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 uh, we are in discussion with a number of organizations about potentially releasing the NFT. I, 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 I've thought about, Ooh, I, you know, we should release NFTs of, uh, of, of charts, the images of charts, of course. Um, yeah. Again, cannot confirm the authenticity of that, uh, of that audio, but, uh, uh, that you can see why, why that did not uh, get mass distribution, uh, through the traditional outlets. <laughs> anyway. Well, as you, you hear from that and what you brought up earlier, it was media week where a lot of uh, WWE executives as well as talents were doing interviews. And uh, there was an interview this week on the Colin Cowherd podcast with Nick Khan. And this was interesting dynamic to begin with because Nick represented Colin as an agent. So did you listen to this whole thing or just the clips? I, I, I did listen to this whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It, uh, I have, uh, you know, Colin Cowherd has a little bit of a history with wrestling. Do you know about this? Yeah. The Eddie Guerrero situation. Controversial comments. I think it was him too, who made the, the Owen Hart comment way back in 1999. Uh, was it him who, who played the, um, Tom Petty song long way down or something like that. And, uh, but there was an Eddie, Eddie Guerrero. Controversy. Yeah. But there was definitely the Eddie Guerrero controversy, uh, but anyway, he likes wrestling now. He likes WWE. He's changed his mind. So, no, this was this was a very interesting interview. The first half of it is all about uh, is it's not about WWE, but it's about you know just sort of the outlook of the media and the sports media business. Um, Nick Khan, if you don't know, has been a, a, a an agent for a lot of 
on-air personalities, including Colin Coward. And uh, he, before WWE uh, hired him to be the chief revenue officer and president, he was involved with WWE making its TV deals uh, with that it currently has with with USA, uh, NBC Universal, and uh, and Fox for Raw and SmackDown, which were big upgrades for them, more than tripling their rights over the previous term. But anyway, he's he's a big big deal sports agent, and now he's working for WWE. And and Colin Coward loves this man, and by listening to this interview. Vince McMahon must love this man. Uh, he thinks that sleep is overrated. No one wants to hear about it when you're tired. So he must he must get along well with Vince. Um, and he, he put Vince in the same pedestals like Bob Iger and you know and all these like major major media uh, moguls. Absolutely. Um, but it, but this was you know we've heard Nick Khan a couple times now on the earnings conference calls. But that's just sort of reading a statement and then taking some Q&A. This was the longest and most in-depth interview uh, I think we've seen publicly with him yet. There might be something before WWE, but not that I've listened to. Um, <clears throat> so I would really recommend listening to this. And uh, there's there's a, a lot of interesting thoughts that he has about the sports media business, as well as just insight about how he views WWE. That's very interesting. Um, we're, we're going to play about five different clips here in a moment and, and then talk about each one. But, uh, I think in general, it's, it's an interesting contrast from, uh, basically his predecessor, George Berrios, who's the, the previous public face of the company besides Vince. Vince doesn't do many media interviews as, as you may or may not be able to tell from the previous <laughs> unauthenticated, but, but anyway, you know, Vince doesn't do a lot of public interviews, uh, and George Berrios, when he was the president, along with. Michelle Wilson, but especially George Barrios did a lot of a lot of the public uh, interviews, conference appearances, CNBC appearances, and things like that. But Nikon is clearly already known in the sort of sports me- sports media business. Um, so this is the, the the most that we have really heard from him. Um, yeah, and there's a big difference to me in terms, and maybe we'll get to it when we go through these clips. But there's a big difference to me in that. First of all, he he sounds a little bit more than Barrios did, like he knows he's familiar with the pro wrestling business, or I should say the sports entertainment business. Yeah. Uh, but um, there's what's what's become most clear to me now after listening to this is the pivot from from Barrios to Nick Khan is very much the pivot from WWE seeing itself as we can be a media we can be a tech company that has its own streaming service and collects all this data and potentially sells the data and analyzes the data and uses the data to do target marketing from we're a company that has really valuable content, intellectual property, and we're yeah. going to make great deals for it. So that's, that's the big change that I, that I see has emerged here. Um, so anyway, we will play the first clip here, which uh, involves uh, Cowherd asking uh, sort of what, it, what does it take to create a star uh, for WWE. How long do you know and how patient are you when you invest in a personality? How long before you know, okay, we got to turn him into a heel. It's not working. No, we got to flip him into a good guy. I mean, what? how much research do you need to see? Do you make those calls? Does Vince make those calls? I, I don't make those calls. Vince and Bruce Pritchard, who's a head writer here, and Triple H, otherwise known as Paul Levesque, Uh, They make those calls. But something that we're all paying attention to every day is what is the audience saying? 
So it's one of the things that when we entered the pandemic, it was tricky for us because getting that audience reaction, you know, if somebody's over, which is the wrestling parlance for if somebody's become popular, you know, if they're over by how the audience is reacting. We had no audience. Ultimately, we filled in that gap through the technology of a company called the Famous Group, where we have all of these screen sets and people reacting in real time to what's going on in the ring, which gives us a sense of whether something's working or not. So a lot of people just go to Twitter. What my personal thoughts on Twitter, you have a very small percentage of the population that are very vocal and very influential there. I don't want us to be influenced by that. That's just one voice to look at. But what we want to look at is the actual massive voice that's present in this country and internationally. And that's through audience reaction. So there's that. Go ahead. So I think the biggest takeaway on that, and I want to hear your thoughts, Brandon, is him kind of downplaying Twitter as an influence, saying it's a small percentage and that's not the audience that you're trying to cater to because it's such a small percentage. And we see the biggest WWE backlash is usually through Twitter. That's where more people are critical of the product and the programming. Do you, do you think Twitter really is a small percentage and it should be ignored for what he says? Or is this kind of just like they know there's negativity on Twitter and they're just kind of like, ah, that, 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 that doesn't mean much because it's so small. I, so I've, I've done a couple of uh, these net promoter score surveys where I'm trying to – the intent is to get random samples. I'm getting them through, through Facebook. It's not through Twitter, and it's not through people who are purportedly connected with with my social media in any way. And uh, what, what, so, I in, in those surveys, I'm asking, you know, how likely would you be to recommend these seven wrestling programs, including WWE, AW Impact, Ring of Honor, New Japan? And and what I see is there's there's more positivity for the main roster programs than you would expect if you only read Twitter. Uh, but there's still more positivity for AEW and more positivity for New Japan. Um, I think the downplay of the negativity from Twitter is highly overrated. I think WWE is a company that's um, is a company that the main roster product has been booked by Vince McMahon for a number of years, and Vince McMahon for a number of years has has not known how to get the intended reactions from his audience, and it's been to the detriment of the company and of the talent and of the industry. Um, I think it's um, obviously he was recording this sometime probably last week. This came out on, on I think Wednesday, um, and it, and it's it's um, it's a, it's an interview that came out a few days before WrestleMania uh, happened, and we've got uh, at least some of the time they're they're piping in fake crowd noise, even despite the fact that they've got twenty some odd fans in attendance. Um, so, and 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 he's also making the point that. Well, they listen to their rather than listening to what happens on Twitter or other places online. We listen to our our fans in attendance, yeah, which is just not yeah. the case for a number of years. Um, as I said, if you if you go back and watch W content for the last few years or take a sampling of it, I, I think you will find that uh, Vincent's product is often unable to get the intended reactions and uh, and does not necessarily listen to the crowd, or I think they tr- listen, they, they interpret something from what they get from the crowd, but don't necessarily adjust in the right way. And uh, piping in fake crowd noise, as they appeared to do this weekend, I think just speaks to a distrust that the audience is going to react in the way that they want to react. All right, so um, we can uh, segue to the uh, next clip here, um, where... Uh, 
Colin uh, asked him, what qualities do you look for in stars? So we can uh, play that clip. Is there a similarity between TV and a WWE performer in it quality that you're looking for or that almost always works? I think there's a couple things. I think, you know, you talked about a couple of different examples there. So to me, theater is an actor's medium. Film is a director's medium. TV is a writer's medium. So it always starts with the writing. So what made The Sopranos gay? You, you put a star in a poorly written show, that show's going to tank. You put an unknown person, James Gandolfini, in the late 90s into a show that's well-written, that person's going to become a big star. So the same applies here. Our writers are phenomenal, and it starts with them. Then you have to have the character. So the character that works over and over, it's no different, in my opinion, than what's made you so special in your genre. You're you. It's just when the light turns on, you're you amplified. And that amplified effect, if you have the goods without being amplified, if you can turn it on to that next level, once the light goes on, you have a chance of being something. We have the good fortune here where if you don't have that big Colin Cowherd or rock type personality, we could put a mask on you. We could give you a manager. We can supplement that in a way that other folks and other mediums can't. So that tends to be what I think makes for these individual characters and all of these mediums. So there's, there's quite a bit there. Um, I I guess the first thing I want to highlight is he says that, you know, if you put on a a poorly written show with a big star, you know, it's going to tank. But if you have an unknown person like James Gandolfini uh, in the late nineties into a show that's well written, uh, that person's going to be a huge star. And he says that applies as well to WWE. Um, so basically what he's saying is, is that it's the writing that makes the star, not the star's ability or experience or whatever. It's how well written he is by the writers. Um, I, I mean, there's some truth to that, I guess. I mean, the, you, I think uh, star power and well, well booked, storylines a well booked promotion those things uh are 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 part of you know, th- those things being good are, are are depend on each other you you can't really develop a star into a big star unless that star is promoted and booked well and uh even if you've got uh, pretty good booking you might not be able to develop a star that well yet on the other hand you can take examples like I think the first one that comes to mind is this is sandman in, in in ecw where ecw maybe is an example in, in this case of uh, at least in relation to the sandman being a really well booked promotion that was had its finger on the pulse of a certain kind of zeitgeist and culture in, in the in the late 90s or mid 90s and uh you know sandman who was not necessarily a very talented wrestler in the ring or not necessarily a great promo but a but a very interesting character that could be the kind of character smoking cigarettes, swinging a cane, drinking beer that connected with an audience in its time. And uh, because he was promoted well, uh, Paul Heyman was able to make a very valuable star out of him. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. It, it, it really makes me wonder what does Nick Khan really think? And I, I don't know. He, he did say on the earnings call uh, a few, few weeks ago, or I guess that would have been February. Um, that he thinks the in-ring product is great. And, and this was sort of in response to a question about ratings and whether, you know, ratings, whether, whether they're going to do anything to address ratings, which they don't really think are down. And, and by the way, we should mention here, uh, Raw and SmackDown have been doing pretty well in the ratings by my reading. 
it, TV ratings are hard to read in, in, in this environment, but uh, the, the trends that we see over the last, um, last couple quarters uh, show NXT and AEW sort of sliding and Raw and SmackDown holding up or growing. So for all we could say about you know the WWE product uh, has a lot of problems, uh, the viewership's doing okay in, in the last uh, quarter or so. It was not the tra- trajectory that I saw it on. I, I, you know, I'm one of the people who's, who, um, you know, in December when when AEW was doing some pretty strong viewership, I, I looked look to me like we're we're on a course for uh, Dynamite to be doing equal to Raw in some younger demos. That has not materialized uh, here in in the fourth month of, of 2021. Um, but um, I think I struggle often to when I talk to people on occasion who are not inundated in the wrestling business to explain why I think WWE has the problems that it does in terms of what the creative really means economically to WWE. Um, but I, I think, you know, Vince does a lot of things, including uh, misvalues talent. He undervalues certain people, maybe overvalues other people, or he just miscasts people. There seem to be, I think there's sort of like three major things here. And talent misevaluation is one. Uh, an inability to execute a long-term storyline is another. And I think there's just a a vast um, two-fakeness about the show, which comes in a variety of, of forms in just in, in the forms of sort of angles being more fake than they really need to be. So they don't resonate with the audience. Uh, promos being uh, you know, inundated with, with corporate speak and promos being strictly scripted which paul Heyman this week defended as they have to be that way because vincent man has to know what you're going to say because it might jeopardize his very valuable business relationships which i think is uh overestimated um <clears throat> and we saw this this you know really really curious example this week or this this weekend where uh the rain delay caused these this uh carousel of of impromptu promos to happen at the very beginning of wrestlemania where um a lot of them were pretty good. And I think they, you know, a lot of them were probably that given wrestlers best promo in a while, just because they were just off the cuff and they felt real and authentic. And I, you felt more like you were seeing a human being that you could connect with, I think. Um, but anyway, all that stuff and the production style that they do and the, all these camera cuts and so forth, et cetera. I think all, all that ends up weakening W's ability to cultivate stars and tell stories that people care about. Obviously they still manage to do so nonetheless, but I think all that results in lower than they would have otherwise viewership, consumer product sales, ticket sales, streaming subscriptions. Um, and they uh, sort of related to what we were saying earlier about you know, how seriously should you take Twitter um, you know, before COVID and soon, probably after COVID you, you have events that, get unintended crowd reactions where people who are supposed to be cheered or who are booked as heroes are, are, are booed and, uh, and vice versa. And you always have this plausible deniability that it's just the vocal minority. You don't really need to take those people seriously. And I think it's, it's less so it's a vocal minority and it's more so um, like what, what Wade Keller is called the bellwether fans. Have you got fans who are telling you sort of forecasting what more fans are going to be thinking and feeling later? So just just w- with what he said, do you believe that WWE takes unknown people and they make them stars with their writing? Um, sort of. I mean, like literally. I mean, nobody really knows who Bianca Belair was a few years That's ago. They... So yeah. Um, and there was another thing he said in that quote, uh, saying that if you're not a Colin Cowherd or you know rock personality they could just put a mask on you or give you a manager. 
Um, I find that very interesting because WWE is the company that normally doesn't put masks on people because they can't show the facials. They can't show the emotion. Um, I found that very interesting. Yeah. And, and they don't really do managers, although there are exceptions. And we saw that in the example of WrestleMania. You got Paul Heyman, you got MVP out there in, in manager roles. You've also got other bodyguard figures and things like that. But um, no, it, it, uh, it doesn't gel very much with the reality of this company over the last, let's say, five years. Um, so I, I, again, I, I think Nikon is a, is a smart person and a very talented agent and, and negotiator. Um, I, I can only think that all of what he's saying here is are not his real thoughts. I, th- I think there's there's a tremendous value that he has to provide to WWE in terms of being an, a, a deal maker uh, for this company. And uh, but I I don't know. I can't see how you could watch this product if he does, and then think that this 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 product this core the core content of, of this company is um is is really being maximized. But you have to when you make these appearances and things. I, I I don't expect him to bury Vince to bury his boss and say he's you know to say the things that we would that yeah. I would say here. But so I don't know uh if there's another way to say it that is more honest. Uh speaking of deals, it's been heavily rumored that, you know, Nick Khan could be the guy that brokers a sale of WWE. Uh and he Colin asked him, you know, why you think Vince won't sell WWE and we have that clip right here. So I think he has no interest in selling, number one, because he's built it, number two, because he's still the best person to run it, and number three, what's he going to do? There was one executive who said to him a couple of years ago, where are you summering? And Vince was like, what are you talking about? Like, summering. Like, where, where, where are you summering? Where are you spending your summer? My office. And Vince McMahon was like, I'm spending in Stanford, Connecticut in my office. <laughs> what, are, what are you talking about? So he's not going to be the guy on a yacht and doing all those things. I think he's very interested in continuing to work. I love to work. But yeah, so um I think the biggest thing and I want your thoughts on uh, on it Brandon is you know he has no interest in in selling it uh, number 1 because he's he's built it and he's still the best person to run it. And the the next thing he says is that uh you know we talked about an executive said to him you know where are you summering and he goes what are you talking about? He goes well where are you summering and he goes you know I'm spending it in Stanford Connecticut. Uh, you know, what are you talking about? Obviously, we know Vince is a guy that doesn't sleep. And from what we know, he doesn't really take vacation. Um, he's almost at every pay-per-view and SmackDown and Raw. I think live shows are the only thing he probably, house shows are the only thing he probably doesn't show up at. Uh, but, you know, there is this common core belief that he will not sell because this, this, is, this is his identity. This is what he is. Uh, I mean, do you think Nick Khan is hidden that on the money there were what he said or do you do you think it's a possibility that i think he's saying possibly so yeah i think if he's saying what he's saying there he's probably gotten that impression from vince up to this point i can't imagine they haven't discussed the, the, the subject um and that that aligns with with what i believe that vince will never sell this company because i think that's a good way to put it as you put it it's his identity and that this is what he does with his life every day and, and i know again I've, I've said this many times i don't think vince i don't think this I don't think WWE will be acquired by another company in Vince McMahon's lifetime, maybe after. Um, and, and as I discussed um, after the Peacock deal, NBC Universal certainly seems to be positioned uh, as, as a company that is suited and would, would benefit from acquiring this company. Again, don't expect that to happen in Vince's lifetime, but maybe after. 
And one of the interesting things from this Nick Khan, and this was the non WWE stuff, was he is on the strong belief that you know companies like Amazon and maybe even Apple would buy networks, so they could possibly yeah. be in the market for WWE because once again, it's the intellectual property and and all the stuff that Nick Khan is, and and that's why I think there's you know people will think like Nick Khan is the guy who would be able to sell the company because how he strategizes it, you know, how he, you know, he brought up also in an interview, the Marvel thing, how, you know, Disney buys Marvel at a low, at a low price. And they turn it into this, you know, giant franchise. And I think there's some similarities there in how they now view their W studios business, their film business in, in that they're no longer looking to be the ones producing the films, but they license the con they license the intellectual property and then you make a movie based on that and i don't think that that completely translates i don't think you're going to be making a an, an endless series of um i don't know who, who what would be an example fiend movies but um <laughs> uh we, we saw a hell of a fiend movie tonight though didn't we but anyway oh, yeah, yeah I, I don't uh, i don't think there's nearly as much value at least in movies but but there's, you know, wrestling's a different thing, and there's a lot of ways to uh, to monetize the intellectual property, and there probably will be in new ways, including NFTs in the future. Um, another thing that uh, Colin Cowherd asked Nick Khan was, how does the WWE actually measure success? And we have a clip right here. What will, in the eyes of the WWE, what will be a success? What are your standards? What are your goals? It, it, be it download, TV rating, merchandise sales. How is it viewed as eventually, oh, this worked, this hit? So this is our first time where it's exclusively on Peacock. First event. We did one three weeks ago called Fastlane, which was on WWE Network and Peacock. WrestleMania is exclusively on Peacock. So the interesting thing for us is Peacock is available for free in all of the Comcast cable homes. There's about 25 million homes. So let's say on a great WrestleMania year, we were up to 2 million plus subs on WWE Network in the United States. Now we're available for free in 25 million homes. We know our first event three weeks ago had a massive, was a massive success in terms of subs for Peacock. We have those numbers. They've asked us not to disclose it. We're happy to abide by that. But it was a big event. So the expectation for this weekend is big in terms of how many people subscribe. Keep in mind, WWE Network was $9.99 a month. Peacock right now is nine ninety nine for four months. So I think the biggest thing there is he says that uh, they got the subscription numbers from Peacock, uh, you know, from basically people, you know, signing up for, for Fastlane. And uh, he said those numbers are very impressive, but obviously, you know, they were told not to disclose them. Um, I mean, I could see that because that was the – when basically people thought, oh, I have to switch over. So obviously those numbers were going to be very good because I think that was the first switch over was, oh, well, Fastlane's coming. You know, my uh, my subscription's going to end in a week anyway. So WWE Network, I'll subscribe now and see how this goes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he obviously doesn't quantify it and, and says that NBC Universal doesn't want them to. So, um, yeah, there's a, a couple things there, which is like one of one of his favorite opening phrases. Um so in the press release that, that was put out tonight, uh, it the language, and this is totally like reading tea leaves, but the language that they use is they had millions of viewers, millions, plural, of viewers on um, on Peacock. What does that mean? Um, <clears throat> who knows? 
again, U.S. subscribers were never much higher for the W Network than 1.1 million, maybe 1.2 million at at, at a peak. Um, but NBC uh, Universal's Peacock is in maybe up to 30 million homes at this point. So maybe more people watched this WrestleMania than before. I don't know. Um, but clearly that that's that's a big job for them, and then they've been pushing very hard to to get people to convert. And I think that's why there's a there's a two night takeover, and uh, one of the nights was was simulcasted on Peacock to just to get people converted over. And obviously they they shut down the U.S. version of the network on April fourth, so that you had to be on Peacock uh, for WrestleMania, which is of course their biggest event. Um, kind of what I think Colin Coward is is getting at in that question, which isn't isn't really in, you know what what Nikon responded to though is how do you measure success and, and including things like yeah you know, I'm I'm very curious to see how they how they uh, report success or how an investor or an outside observer is going to be able to measure success in the future uh, for this company at least related to the network content um, I don't know that NBC Universal is going to allow them to report information related to their their products performance on, on Peacock um, how does uh, how does a, a future potential suitor, if you're going to negotiate with other uh, streaming services in the future, maybe when this deal is up, uh, how are they going to know what what you really have to deliver uh, if there aren't public numbers? I'm curious about that. But I'm curious just for a sort of a selfish WrestleNomics reason. I'm not going to be able to know uh, on a quarterly basis, at least, what the, the latest W Network subscriber numbers are. Um, and obviously, there's questions in there too about like well what really matters is it tv ratings is it digital social and whatever so but anyway yeah and uh the last clip that we're going to play on here is colin asking uh nick Khan about international growth where do, what country does he want to grow in yes uh the big news that everybody took out of well the, the wrestling news sites yes. took out of this that, oh my god he talked about becky lynch and ronda rousey uh uh but there, there's a other things in here like international growth, which is a a uh, a favorite Russellnomics topic. Where do you want to grow the market? What country do you think right now? I'm going to seize that. I'm going to grow that space. Latin America and specifically Mexico. I think if you look at the Lucha Libre product, which is the authentic Mexican wrestling style, there are two smaller Mexican promotional companies that exist right now. I think if we WWE. Um, if we put the WWE effects onto one of those companies and we kept the authenticity, I'm talking about building our own company, not acquiring either one of these. But if it had the WWE touch on it, the WWE work ethic on it, ultimately you can build that marketplace out where you have certain events there that are still doing 30 million viewers, um, things that you haven't seen in the United States outside of the Super Bowl in years, you can still do on a consistent basis there. If you're on free to air, which is their terminology for broadcast network and the terminology here, and you have the right local superstars. So we have a hyper focus on that region. So Mexico is one is looks like his main market where he wants to grow. And it almost seemed from further on in that, that not just, Hey, maybe we want to run more live events in Mexico, maybe even raw or SmackDown or, or a pay-per-view. It seemed like a possible touring promotion possibly nxt mexico that's kind of what i got out of that what did you get out of that brandon yeah so there's global localization you got nxt uh paul Vec rolled out this 
presentation a few years ago at a, a WWE Business Partner Summit where he stood in front of the map of the world and there were little NXT logos on all the continents. Um, and that's already happened in, in the UK. Looks like India might be the next spot. Um, yeah, I, Latin America is, uh, is a big market that he sees opportunity in. I think the use of Bad Bunny is a way to address that. Uh, a Puerto Rican musician who's very popular. Um, so I think I, my, my sense is that he reads Mexico is a big market for pro wrestling. It is. Uh, yeah. Maybe, by the way, Japan is as well. There were rumors that there would be an NXT Japan just before COVID hit. Um, that maybe that was imminent, but that didn't, that obviously did not materialize. Um, <clears throat> I guess my reading is that, well, he views that there's popular wrestling already in Mexico. So why not, instead of trying to create a, a, a wrestling interest from scratch in a country like China, that's not particularly, uh, it doesn't have a long history of, of, of pro wrestling fandom. Why not go to a market? And he's talking about Latin America generally here too, not just Mexico, but he's, he, he clearly referred to AAA and, and CNLL, not by name. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I l- listening to this for the first time, I was like, Oh my God, he's going to buy AAA. No, okay. He, he, he clearly said, That's what it okay. seemed like to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, um, I think, Hmm. UK is one thing where you, you, you got the same language and you've got a huge WWE legacy in UK. Uh, w does not have a huge legacy in Mexico. Um, w has a very different style product uh, than Lucha Libre. W when they have signed in the past major stars from the Lucha Libre world, including the original Mystico, who they branded Sin Cara, including the recently exited La Sombra uh, uh, and Andrade, uh, that didn't work out. Um, and at least in the case of Sin Cara, it was cl- Clearly part of it, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the personality of Luis Uribe, but probably a lot of it. Also, I think their agents and their their philosophy was that the wrestling that he knew how to do wasn't the right kind of wrestling for them. Um, I think they just have a, of, of you know, WWE wrestling is vastly different, especially the, the, the wrestling that they think is right and best is vastly different from what Lucha Libre is. Um, I think there's a, a tremendous risk that you're going to be seen as a large corporate invader and not an authentic wrestling brand you're gonna you, i think you're gonna have to have tremendous local leadership uh people who are not you know you know just uh you know a a, a good good uh road agent producer from WWE to go in there and uh, be the be the the guy in charge of uh nxt mexico but it, it would have to be i think a really mexico leaning and authentic leaning kind of system um and there's i think a, a there's a lot of wind to to fight against in that situation. And I think it would be similar for an, an NXT Japan or whatever you want to call it as well. And, and my my cynicism is that you're going to have WWE philosophy come in there and say, wait a minute, what, why are you bumping like that? You know, why, why, why aren't you, uh, you know, working this way and, and instead of that way? And uh, which may be a subtle difference to an audience, but j- just that using that as an example of, you know, we need to do things the WWE way here because that that's what we think is best and not taking into account that you're deconstructing the authentic Mexican wrestling experience. And to go full circle, you took the mask off Andrade and you also took the mask off of Hio del Fantasma. <laughs> like you took yeah. the mask off these guys when they went there. Uh, and in Mexico, you only lose your mask if you built up this great 
whether it's master's mask or master's hair, like it, no one just doesn't wear their mask the next day. You have to like get somewhere to lose your mask. I don't know how they would, what if they just wake up one day and they're like, yeah, yeah, you're not gonna have your mask. I don't think the Mexican audience would, that's not what they're grew up on. Like, I guess the, maybe the, the keys that I'm trying to get to is like the creative is fundamentally different. Yeah. The, the training is fundamentally different from what, uh, what WWE is currently doing in the Performance Center in Orlando and in, and in the UK and probably what they're going to do in, in India. They're probably going to, why wouldn't they be teaching people a, a, a US style of wrestling there? Um, so it's very different. And uh, I don't trust WWE to understand that difference. Anyway, anything else? Plugs? When's the next? Uh... So we're actually recording this week. So it will hit not this Wednesday coming up, but the Wednesday after. So, uh, but uh, we're going to do part two of our uh, deep dive into uh, XPW and uh, it'll start getting interesting. I believe we'll probably end up on this episode covering the uh, incident with, uh, with Messiah and, you know, were there hitmen hired by Rob Black? And that's still a mystery. It was actually on Unsolved Mystery. Or, no, thumbs with like the, the thumbs being removed? Yeah, it was actually on America's Most Wanted. That's what it was. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, so there, there's a lot more to the Rob Black story. We talked a lot about like really the, the genesis of it and the ECW incident. But there's a lot more to the Rob Black story that we're going to really get into uh, as, as it goes on. And this is going to be a two-parter, possibly a three-parter. Uh, venture for rediscovering indies so you can check us out uh rediscovering the indies and we're available on you know uh spotify and apple podcasts and google podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts yeah um but also uh twitter rti pod facebook instagram rediscovering indies you know like i I plug it all the way we i uh put the this day in independent wrestling history and brandon did you know that today in 1995 the rock and roll express defeated Dick Murdoch and Randy Rhodes to win the NWA Tag Team Titles in NWA Dallas. Oh, I was just going to say, and then you can follow me at Chris Gullo on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. The Wednesday Night War is over is an article that is new on WrestleNomics.com that is free for everybody to read. There's no ads ever on WrestleNomics.com. The WrestleNomics Patreon is only $5 a month. You get access to the 14,000 data point spreadsheet that has uh, viewership data going back to 2014 for WWE AEW Impact. There's the, all the uh, the Impact Wrestling viewership that is exclusive to uh, to some of the posts that I made recently. Quarter hour viewership for Impact Wrestling is on the Patreon. Impact viewership for various demographics that you won't find anywhere else, but but uh, especially the the spreadsheet that I update continuously. I'm gonna have to update it five days a week now because we now have entered the era post Wednesday Night War, where now there is wrestling every weekday for the rest of my life, perhaps. You can follow WrestleNomics at WrestleNomics. You can follow me at Brandon Thurston. I'm Brandon Thurston. He's Chris Gullo. Talk to everybody next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets 
if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.